Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you again. It's been a few weeks. Um, Ryan, thanks for that song. It's amazing how some of the most uh, simple truths can be the most profound and exactly what we need to hear, so I'm very grateful for that. As you know, over the last few weeks, we've been looking at it, what it means to live a life of discipleship, and what a blessing to have three of our pastoral staff stand up here and speak to you in their own unique way from what sincerely they believe in their heart and to not skip a beat from week to week to week to hear God's word proclaimed from this pulpit. I am so, so grateful for each of those men, for what they communicated to you and the privilege that I have to work and live with them every day. So I'm very, very grateful. But if you remember, Brian began this series by reminding us that discipleship is not simply something that we do. We didn't begin this series, it was not our goal to roll out some new discipleship program or some new curriculum for spiritual growth. We really don't want to give you a checklist to help you feel better about what you do, nor do we want to make you feel guilty for something that you're not already doing. Instead, we wanted to come to you and extend an invitation. We want to invite you. To encounter God in such a way that your heart responds in worship. Not in some emotion that you manufacture, but a life of worship that, that flows out of an abiding walk with Jesus Christ. We want to invite you into a life of meaningful community. And not because we think it's a good idea, although we do, but more importantly, we are convinced that God says it's a good idea. He said very clearly, it is not good for man, it is not good for woman to be alone. That we were created from community, for community, made in the image of the undivided fellowship of the Trinity, called to live in the undivided fellowship of the believers who look to Christ for his great love. In this life of worship, as we live in loving fellowship with one another, it then, then spills out naturally into the lives of those around us. Now, our outreach to others is, a, is an overflow of what we receive in our relationship with Jesus Christ. As Jesus said, the one who is forgiven much, loves much. Or to say the same thing in a different way, the one who knows no forgiveness shows no love. In the end, discipleship is not something we do. It's what God does. It's the transforming work of the Spirit as we increasingly become everything He created us to be. Which is precisely where I want us to go this morning. I want us to consider the power of our new creation identity in Christ. The Bible says that by faith in Christ, we are a new creation in Christ, that old things have gone and new things have come. It, it instructs us to put aside the old self and put on the new self. And so this morning, I want us to just take some time and consider what exactly does that mean? What does it mean to be transformed by the renewing of your mind? My hope is that you might see discipleship 
as the process by which your new self becomes your true self. Learning to live out of the identity of who you are in Christ. Increasingly becoming everything he's created you to be. So before we look at that together, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I pray that we might just in some small way tap into the boundless riches of what was accomplished by what Christ did on the cross. A plan, as was said this morning, made in eternity past, fulfilled in the person and work of Jesus Christ, and made possible in the hearts and lives of everyone who believes. And so, Lord, may we, in some small way, tap into the boundless riches of the glory of Christ made available to those who are in him. Lord, hear our prayer. Open our hearts. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear. And we pray this in your name. Amen. So, in order to understand the boundless riches of the glory of Christ, we need to begin with understanding this idea of a sinful nature. That word is something that's commonly used in our Christian culture and I think very often misunderstood. So I want to talk about what that term means exactly from a biblical perspective. So to do that, I want you to turn to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. I'm going to have verses up on the screen this morning. I think it's always good if you have your Bible to open it up and look there. But uh, you're welcome to look on the screen as well. So Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. Very familiar passage. We have looked at this plenty of times before, but let's be reminded again of what it says. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, according to the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience, among them we too all formerly lived in the lust of the flesh, indulging in the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. Paul is describing our sinful nature, who we are apart from Christ. A sinful nature is a nature that is ruled by sin, and powerless to break free. It's a nature driven by sinful desires. Paul describes it here as living in the lust of the flesh and indulging in the desires of the flesh and of the mind. Notice he says that we were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. The rest of who? The rest of all humanity. In other words, our very nature, our very being ruled by sin is bent towards rebellion against God. And and our willful rebellion deserves the wrath of God's judgment because our hearts are corrupted by sin. Romans 6.23 speaks of that consequence of our sin when it tells us that the, the wages of sin is death. And it's important to understand that this is not talking about physical death because that's true for all mankind. In Hebrews chapter 9, it says that it's appointed for 
all men to die once. And then comes judgment. Everyone dies and everyone will stand before the throne of God. It is in this judgment that our eternal destiny is determined. A verdict of of innocence before God results in eternal life, and guilt before God results in eternal death. This eternal death is what the Bible calls the second death. You don't have to turn there, but in Revelation chapter 20, verse 14, it explains this. It says, And death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. That is hell. This is, is, as it says, this is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Hell is the second death. And so we could go back to Romans 6.23 and say, the wages of sin is hell. Eternal separation from a life-giving relationship with God. This is is the destiny of all humanity, and there is nothing we can do to change it. Our sinful nature is inclined towards rebellion, unwilling to submit to the authority of God. Whether that's the sinful idea that I can somehow justify myself by my good behavior, just so long as my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds, how arrogant or willful rebellion where I give no credibility to who God is or what he's accomplished, and so I'll do whatever I want. Either way, we are ruled by our sinful nature. But when we put our faith in Christ, there is a spirit-empowered transformation to our sinful nature. Something takes place that is remarkable. Paul describes it in Galatians 2.20 when he says that I have died with Christ and it is no longer I who live but Christ who lives in me. In the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. See, on one hand, Paul recognizes our humanity. He says the life that we now live in the flesh, in our humanity, But he says, he explains it, but in our humanity, in the flesh, when we are in Christ, we are no longer ruled by those fleshly desires like we saw in Ephesians chapter 2. Instead, he explains, we live by faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. We live by faith in everything that Jesus accomplished on the cross. In fact, Paul says, we were crucified with Jesus on the cross. Well, what does that mean? Because we we weren't nailed to the cross with Jesus. What does that mean? I think Romans chapter 6 tells us what that means. So I would like you to turn there. Turn to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. We'll begin reading in verse 3. Listen to how Paul is going to explain in Romans chapter 6 what he said in Galatians chapter 2. says in verse 3, or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus, here it is, have been baptized into his death. 
goes on in verse 4 and says, Therefore, having been buried with him through baptism into death, in order that as Christ was raised from the dead, through the glory of the Father, so too we might walk in newness of life. Paul is identifying those who have aligned their life with Christ through faith. Those who believe that everything that was accomplished by Christ, everything that is true of him has now been made true for you. So that when Jesus Christ was nailed to the cross, so were your sins. That's what Colossians chapter 2 tells us. That certificate of debt, those wages of sin that we deserve were nailed to the cross, put to death. And in the same way, just as Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, you too were raised to walk in a newness of life. What is true for Jesus, by faith, has been made true for you. Baptism is a confession that that's what you believe to be true. Now look at Romans chapter 6, verse 5. He goes on and explains, For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, and here it is, that our old self was crucified with him, that our body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is freed from sin. That is good news, people. Paul says it, it was our, our old self that was crucified with Christ. The person that was ruled by that sinful nature and powerless to break free. Your old self was crucified with Christ. And your new self, don't miss this, your new self came alive in Christ. And this new self, this new creation is no longer ruled by sin. Look at how he continues in verse 10. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Even so, what's true for Jesus is true for you. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey its lust, and do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead, and your members of, as, as instruments of righteousness to God, for sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under the law, you are under grace. Now, I want you to know that hidden within Verse 12 is a command that only applies to the Christian. Only applies to the Christian. It says there in the beginning, therefore, do not let sin reign. Apart from Christ, you are dead in your trespasses and sins. You do not have a choice. You are ruled by your sinful nature. Here's the good news of the gospel. Only when the power of sin is broken do you then have a choice to obey. Only when the power of sin is broken do you then have a choice to obey. This is what I'm calling our new creation identity in Christ. 
you know the verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. If any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have gone and new things have come. I, I like the way the New American Standard translates this. It calls us a new creature. <laughs> I think that's helpful because it's telling us that we're not the same person that we once were. We are a new creature. Old things have gone. Behold, new things have come. Paul emphasizes the, the magnitude of this transformation when he writes to the Colossians and he says, in Christ you have been made complete. In other words, God doesn't look at you as a work in progress. Think about that. God doesn't look at you as a work in progress. He's not disappointed or, or frustrated that you're not farther along. God sees you through the finished work of the cross. And listen to me, it is complete. Yes, we are being transformed. As the Bible says, from, from one degree of glory to another. But God is not limited by time. And he sees beyond who you are to who he created you to be. See, discipleship is learning to live out of your new identity in Christ to increasingly experience everything God already knows to be true about you. Isn't that amazing? That's good news. I want you to think of it this way. Maybe this illustration will be helpful. Think of an acorn, okay? An acorn is a seed from an oak tree. And you know well that inside that seed is everything that is needed to produce a magnificent oak tree. Everything inside that little seed, it's all there. Well, in the same way, in Christ, you have everything you need for life in godliness. That's a promise of scripture. And as you seek to grow in Christ, as you learn to trust in the Lord, you increasingly become everything he's created you to be through the finished work of the cross. Amen? Now, I think it's fair to ask at this point, if this is true, and I certainly believe it is, then why do we struggle with sin? Why do we struggle with sin? Well, some might answer that question and say, well, it's because of your sinful nature. And I disagree. And I want you to understand why. One of the reasons I disagree with that idea is because what you see in the garden. I don't know why I have these thoughts in the shower sometime, but I have some of the best theological thoughts in my life in the shower, okay? So the other day I was sitting in the shower and it, this question came to me, Okay? Here's the question. I want you to think about this. Don't answer out loud. Just think in your heart. Why did Adam and Eve sin? Have you thought about that? Why did Adam and Eve sin? Was it because of a sinful nature? No. Sin had not entered the world at that point. Adam and Eve lived in fellowship with God. They had everything they needed to flourish under God's faithful care. Adam and Eve sinned because of Satan's deception. 
they sinned because they were tempted to live outside of who God created them to be. That's what happened. I believe the same thing is true for us. Because we, we have fellowship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. We have everything we need for life and godliness. The reason that we sin is the same as what we see with Adam and Eve. We are tempted to live outside of our new creation identity in Christ. To live outside of who God has created us to be. Now, I understand that this is not an exact correlation. Because I understand that this world in which we live is filled with a whole lot more sin and corruption than would have existed in the garden that day. I also understand that apart from Christ, we have all walked in some pretty deadly patterns of sin. Some well-worn ruts in our life. We've been deeply affected by hurts, by habits, by hang-ups. But here's what's always been true. Satan is a deceiver. And the root of all sin, the root of all sin in the life of a believer is the temptation to believe something about who God is or who we are in him that is not true. That's why the Bible describes obedience as what? Walking in the truth. It's why it describes transformation as a renewing of the mind. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Become everything that God has created you to be because you understand the truth of what he accomplished and what he's made possible. Because in the end, you, who you become is based on what you believe. The struggle of sin in the life of a believer is always a battle of belief. The reason we sin is because we believe the wrong things about who God is or who he created us to be. The truth of God is what sets us free. The truth of God is what transforms our life. Learning to live according to this new creation identity in Christ. If we would turn to Ephesians chapter 4. And I want us to look at how Paul unpacks this with the Ephesian church. So Ephesians chapter 4. And we'll begin reading in verse 21. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 21. It says in verse 21. If indeed... You have heard him and have been taught in him just as, here's the word, truth is in Jesus. That in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of, there it is, deceit. And that you be renewed, here it is, by the spirit of your mind. That you put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of truth. And Paul tells us to, to put off the old self, that self that was enslaved by that sinful nature. A nature that is increasingly corrupted by Satan's deception. Believing lies about who God is in his goodness, in his power, in his forgiveness, 
in his love. Temptations that invite you to to live outside the boundaries of God's design. That was the whole temptation of the garden, was making Adam and Eve believe that there was something better outside the boundaries of God's design. Instead, he says, instead of listening to those lies, be renewed. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. We should put on the new self, he says, a life created by God in order to give glory to God, a life that is lined with the the truth of who God is and who we are in him. The truth of what Christ accomplished, that, that gospel truth is what transforms our lives. And so the tension in our walk with Christ is a battle of belief. Every time we sin, every time we sin, we are believing a deception about who God is or who we are in him. Obedience is the result of walking in the truth. And we need to understand that none of this, none of this is possible without the empowering work of the Spirit. I mean, that's why Paul, when he wrote to the Galatians, he said, Did you begin by the Spirit and is somehow now being perfected in the flesh? In other words, did God get you started and say, carry on, you can take it from here? Is that how that works? He says, no, that's exactly right. (laughs) Preach it, brother. You are absolutely right. From the mouths of bays. Beautiful. Turn, if you will, to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. See, Satan will always try to appeal to the flesh, to our humanity, just like he did with Adam and Eve. He wants us to to look to that humanity, to to try to solve the mysteries of life in our own wisdom and understanding, for us to try to determine what is right in this world or wrong in this world according to our own wisdom and understanding. He tempts us towards selfish pleasure, worldly success, finding approval in the eyes of other people. Temptation that invites us to live outside the boundaries of God's design. But in Christ, in Christ, the Spirit of God speaks the truth of God into the hearts of His people. He's inviting you to trust in Him. You see, this is all about an invitation. The the enemy is inviting you to trust in Him. He's inviting you to believe that there's something better outside the boundaries of God's design. He's inviting you to, to believe that, that somehow not, God's really not as good as they say he is. He's really not as loving as they say he is. That there's really something that you've done that is beyond the boundaries of his forgiveness. He's inviting you to trust in him. And at the very same time, the Spirit of God is inviting you to trust in him. To believe that there is No forgiveness beyond the boundaries of God's design. That there is love and grace and mercy for everyone 
who turns to him in faith. The Bible tells us that in him you are filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and understanding. The Bible tells us that we have unconditional acceptance, complete forgiveness because of the finished work of the cross. The Bible tells us that we are a child of God and that we belong to God and that he will never leave us or never forsake us. And so no matter how far we have run, he is always inviting us home. This is an invitation. And it's just a matter of which one of those you're going to accept. Which one of those things are you going to believe to be true? That's why the Bible tells us be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So that how we live increasingly aligns with what God says is true. Truth about who he is. Truth about who you are in him. And do you see what good news this is? This is good news that that it's not my job to conquer sin in my life. It's not my job. It's what Jesus accomplished. We're not trying to overcome our sinful nature by trying hard not to sin. Instead, we are striving to live according to our new nature by putting our minds on Christ. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. In fact, I'm convinced. I'm convinced the more that we set our mind on Christ the more that we meditate on his word, the more that we sing those truths so that they resonate in our heart, then the more we will find that sin loses its appeal. Transformation. Transformation by turning your heart to the Lord. It's what Colossians tells us. I'm going to finish with this verse. Colossians chapter 3 verse 1. Listen to what this says. If then you have been raised up with Christ, then keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Here it is, set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth, for you have died and are hidden. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Amen? That's good news. See, that's why when we gather together like this or when you gather together in your small group or when we come together this evening, this is why this is so important. Because we live in a world that is filled with deception. And we need to come to a place that is filled with truth. Truth that is based upon God's word expressed to us. We need to declare that truth in the songs that we sing, so that it resonates in our heart. We need to share that truth with one another as we live in meaningful community with one another. We need to share that truth as it spills out of our lives, pouring out into the lives of those around us in our jobs, in our our schools, in our neighborhoods. We need to be disciples who go and make disciples. So let me close with one challenge that I would ask you to consider this week. I want you to ask yourself this question. On a day-to-day basis, what fills my mind? 
on a day-to-day basis, what fills your mind? Things above or things of the earth? Are you seeking the truths about who God is and who you are in Him? Or are you allowing the world to define your identity, define your value based on the opinions of other people or what the world defines as success or prosperity? Are you ruled by God's truth or distracted by Satan's deception? On a day-to-day basis, what fills your mind? I hope you take some time this week to consider that question and consider what it means. As we've talked about this morning, to live according to your new creation in Christ. What a beautiful, marvelous, incredible... That's why I think... When the Bible talks about riches beyond anything that we can ask or imagine, I think in large part it's talking about this miraculous new identity of who we are in Christ. I think it takes a lifetime to discover all that was made possible on the cross because of what Christ accomplished for us. So let's live in that and rejoice in that and believe in that. Amen? We pray for us, and then I've got a couple of people that I'd like to introduce to you this morning, so let's pray. Lord, as we finish up this morning, we just want to thank you for all that was accomplished through the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Thank you that you have promised that what is true for him has been made true for us, that our old self, that sinful nature of which we were powerless to break free, that it was crucified on the cross. And that in Christ we have been raised to walk in a newness of life. No longer enslaved to the power of sin. But now given through the power of the Holy Spirit the ability to choose to obey. To walk in the truth. So Lord may we fill our minds with truth. May it fill our conversations, our meditations, our observations. In all that we are and all that we do. May we may we. Focus on the glory of Christ, fixing our minds, our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And may that truth transform who we are in you. May we increasingly become everything that you've created us to be. We pray this in your name. Amen.